Mac Power Users 235 Workflows with Stephen Hackett. Everyone, this is David Sparks along with my pal Katie Floyd. Hello, Katie Floyd. Hey, David, how are you? Good. And we've got a guest that's been on our list for some time with us today. Welcome to the show, Stephen Hackett. Hey, guys, how are y'all? We're doing great, and it's uh, it's overdue to have you on. Uh, but you know, you at, at some point, we were just trolling you. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping that wasn't going to come up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you don't know Stephen, uh, he's a man about town. He's got the five. 12pixels.net website, which is a great kind of Apple site. Lots of, you know what I like about that site, Stephen, is you, you do a lot of kind of insightful posts, not necessarily, you do some new stuff too, but I like the insightful stuff the best. And um, he's also a former Apple genius, uh, co-founder of Relate.fm over there with Mike and um, editor-in-chief of The Sweet Setup. You're a busy guy, Stephen. It's a, when you list them back to back like that, I sound like a crazy person. <laughs> Well, what I didn't add to the list is that you also have a full-time day job. That's so. fine. <laughs> well, and and most in, most importantly, um, you are a husband and father of three. Yeah, yeah, there's three of them now, which um, right. you have to remember when you go places that all three of them are with you. It's an important step. Well, they're kind of like, like triples. They multiply if you feed them. <laughs> yeah, turns out. Yeah. <laughs> we had, um, we had a, you know... Our second one, when the first one was five, and we just got to the point where we could go somewhere without bringing the stroller and the diaper bag and like all of the gear. And yeah. we didn't realize it. Then we had the second one. We're like, wow, you know what? We're right back to square one again. We definitely did the same same thing. Our middle child is four. So, you know, we're out of all that stuff. And like I had forgotten not to talk about parenting, but I'd forgotten just how much stuff is involved to keep little children going. It's sort yeah. of crazy. Yeah, I was in an elevator the other day and a guy came in with a stroller and a diaper bag and a lot of other gear and equipment that I didn't recognize. Apparently it's, it's you know, everything's upgraded in the last few years. And I was just looking at him and I was thinking, I'm so glad I'm done with that part. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've got a few more years, don't you, Stephen? Your your youngest one um, is, is still quite young, isn't she? He's brand, brand new. new. Yeah, brand yeah, new. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Your daughter's the, the middle one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> Thanks. It's fun, though. It is it's fun. And it's over before you know it. That's the part I can't get over. But I guess I, you don't want to get all hippie, squishy here. <laughs> but the, uh, anyway, <clears throat> we're going to talk about Mac stuff. And anyway, but uh, so, Stephen, yeah. you it really is amazing to me how many, you know, things you are juggling at any one moment. And, you know, I think it seems like a natural to have you on the show to talk about some of the some of the ways you you manage to hold all this stuff together. Yeah, it's um I mean like a like a lot of y'all's guests and a lot of what you guys talk about, it's it's all about having priorities for the day and and knowing, you know, how many things you can do in a day and when it's okay to push something off or to to delegate it or to let it go by the wayside. Yeah. Well, before we get into all of the things that you do now, I want to go back a little bit and and talk about how did this all get started because I know you talk about your love of, of old Macs. And I, so I always wonder, but I don't think I've ever heard, were you there in the very beginning? Did you, did you grow up using these old Macs? Uh, I really didn't. I'm, I'm a relative, relatively late bloomer in the, uh, in the Mac space. I didn't meet the Macintosh until my sophomore year of high school, which was a uh, 12 or 13 years ago. First Mac I really uh, used was an iMac G3, you know, the very first, you know, Bondi blue, they put them, um, 
at least here, I mean, they were just flooded the schools. And so I, I met it in high school and then sort of, I think, since then, I've been trying to backfill my history by learning about stuff that, that predated me. Interesting. So did you have any computer experience really before before high school or? Uh, a little bit. My dad um, bought, I remember it very clearly. In fact, I used to own it. I don't know where it is now. Uh, this like NEC laptop in, in gray and it ran Windows 3.1 for work groups. Um, although we didn't have a network or internet connection, so I'm not sure what work grouping he was doing. But uh, then he, he graduated from that to a, a desktop, family desktop, running like Windows 95. And then I put Windows 98 on it, which went poorly. And so I grew up a Windows guy and, and not not real hardcore. You know, I, I wouldn't consider myself at all a, a Windows uh, power user even even then, but but grew up with Windows and then and then met the Mac in high school. And then when I bought my first machine, sort of the end of high school into college, uh, switched to the Mac and, and haven't looked back. So what what caused that transition from you, you know, growing up in a Windows based household and seeing this, you know, Bondi Blue iMac for the first time in 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 high school to deciding that you were, you know, going to go out and, and Macs were still probably, you know, pretty expensive when when you were I mean, they they still are comparatively pretty expensive today. But especially when when you were in high school and college deciding to go out, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go spend my hard earned money and, and buy a Mac. Why did you decide to make that transition? I, I was a, I was a newspaper nerd in high school, and I, I've written a little uh, bit yeah. about that. I, and so you know, I was layout, a yearbook nerd. Yeah, well, yeah, y'all were across the hall, and our yearbook staff continually broke their Apple Talk network, so I had to go over there and fix it for them like three times a week. But um, I uh, I just fell in love with the this idea that a computer could be more than you know, growing up with Windows ninety five, like it's a word processor and you can play solitaire. Like that's about it. Uh, at least with you know pre internet days. And so for me, the the ability to to have this picture in my head of what at the time a newspaper page should look like um, and be able to sit down and just make it was just really intriguing. And and then that spread a little bit to photography and a little bit to music and just the, the ability to create the stuff on a computer. Like, I know that's like the I sound like I'm one of the like a, I'm a switcher campaigns, but like it really was just um blew my mind that I could make things. And um, so, yeah, so it wasn't even a question. And I was I was lucky. I mean, um, I had this really great job in high school and they bought a titanium power book that I was I was basically able to use as my own computer, carried it with me uh, until I could buy something. And uh, it was just being able to unlock like s- the creative side of, of my brain was uh, addicting. Yeah. I think that's one of the big enabling factors of of Macintosh and its platform in general is that when you get into it, they have great tools to write a song and make a movie. And and frankly, the platform doesn't require a lot of maintenance, like, you know, disk defrag and all the other stuff. So, you know, on the Windows side, at least back in the day, it felt like you spent a lot of your time managing your computer and on the Mac, you just felt like you spent your time making stuff. And that was a big differentiator in my mind as well. Yeah, I think Apple's trying to hold on to that legacy. You look at the iPad, especially, and iLife is free, iWork is free. And they're trying to keep that sort of flame going, even though the bar is much lower than it's ever been, including on Windows. Uh, I think Apple is still holding on to that of like, hey, you're a creative person, but you don't want to be a technical person. Like, we're, we need to be buddies. Yeah. yeah. 
And, so, and, and in some ways they're failing at that, frankly, right now, but, um, yeah, but they, uh, but, but I understand, I mean, it's, it's still better, but I mean, I wish, I wish they had focus on that more right now. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, so that, that makes sense. So I think that's a story a lot of people have. And then, but, but you took it to another level, Stephen, because you went and got a job for Apple. I, I did. It was, um, I was, uh, I was in college and my wife and I got married young and I, it's like American pull yourself up from your bootstraps type story. Like I needed to pay off her engagement ring. And so I took this, I knew some people at the Apple store, a guy I worked with at the college newspaper had just gotten on at the Apple store. And so I took a gig as a seasonal employee. So it used to be, now this is, I guess, 2006. So still like big iPod days. I was the guy like in the side of the store where they, they would, you would come in and you would stay like behind the ropes and go to the iPod station and pick out your iPod and you pay for it. And then you leave. And that's all you did in the store, you know, very much like how they do personal setup and stuff now. So I was in the iPod hole basically for like two months. Like all I did was sell iPods and it was um, pretty terrible, but I was very quickly given the opportunity to stay on after the holidays. And so I did. And um, now, now give uh, me an idea just for, for time frame. 2006, would we be in the realm of iPod nanos or iPod, uh, iPod uh, minis or yeah, that's, yeah, that's, nano? Uh, yeah, nano, Isn't nano that, world. Okay, that's that's right after the one that was scratchy. The, was it the iPod Nano two? The one that got scratched up a lot. Yeah, yeah. The first gen got real scratchy, and then apparently some of them like blew up, battery problems or something. All right, so, yeah, the, so these are going to be like the the white and the black lacquer nano. Yeah, yeah. World. And there okay. are some color models in there. That that sort of time frame. Got it. So that, I, that's I, how I, I date things. Is by yeah, what, did, no, what did the Apple Store look I like during that? Period totally time? understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I did that and then very quickly uh, moved, transitioned to the Genius team, went to Cupertino for training. And then I came back from training and our lead genius had quit. And he, now he was an original. Okay, now you, you, yeah. can't, you can't just skip over oh, that. Uh, you can't okay. just skip over that. Because that, that to me <laughs> seems like, you got to understand, that there was a period in my life, and, and it was probably about this time period, where I, I was ready to like drop out of law school and, and say, screw this, I'm going to go become an Apple genius. And yeah. my parents were like, no, you cannot do that. Because <laughs> that was the most magical thing to me. Had there been an Apple store where I lived, I would have been just like, I'm done, goodbye. This is this is where I'm going. I mean, to me, like the idea of someone like tap, like uh, my vision was like Steve Jobs would come and tap you on the shoulder and be like, "You're going to be a genius now. Come with me." Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it's not nearly that like, not, glamorous. Not so much. In fact, there's stories that like a lot of corporate people like loathe the genius position. But I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. But um, yeah. So at the at the time, it's a little bit different now, depending on where you live. But at the time, uh, geniuses, at least in the states, who were being trained. Went to Cupertino. I was there for, I think, like 10 days or maybe two weeks. And basically, you take, you're in classes. I mean, it's like going to school. You're in class all day, and you do a software track, and you do a hardware track. And so you learn about troubleshooting OS ten. At, at this time, it would have been OS ten Tiger. Um, I don't, I think it was pre-Leopard. And so you learn, like, the software stack and how to troubleshoot it. And this is, of course, there's, like, classic OS still hanging on. And then you do your hardware track. So you, you learn how to take apart things. And you, at the time, got to learn how to discharge a CRT, which is absolutely terrifying if you've never done it before. Well, that's very important that you learn how to do that correctly. Yeah. We were still servicing Emacs at the time. And so, you know, they were still CRTs coming into the stores. And so you had to know how to do it. And if you don't do it correctly, you get to take a trip to the emergency room if it goes poorly. 
so yeah, it's it's you're on you're not on. The, again, this is old news now. I don't know how it is today, but at the time you were not on campus at Infinite Loop. You're over on Bub Road, where Apple has a bunch of offices, and uh, you got to go to campus for lunch or eat at Cafe Max, and you know you're. The whole thing's paid for by Apple. In fact, my expense report got rejected because I bought a lighter and I had to like go in and take this like 92 cent item off my receipts. It was very exciting. And yeah, it's it's really immersive. And you start on day one on campus in a, in a conference room and um, like uh, Ron Johnson came by, you know, had the head of Apple retail at the time and introduced himself and, you know, met us. And it was really you really felt more than any other retail position. You felt part of the company. I think a lot of retail people, you know, it's, it's separate, right? Like, you know, you're in Indiana and you're working at an Apple store. Like you don't really work like for Apple corporate. It doesn't feel that way unless you get to go out and do training on campus. Now, how does somebody decide, you know, you're going to go from being a seasonal employee. You may not have a job here next month to, you know what? I think you've got what it takes to be a genius. Is that, you express some interest or is that, um, you know, someone said, you know, you've clearly got some technical skills here. I mean, how, how is it determined that you're going to be a genius versus you're just going to be, okay, a, a, a regular term guy that, that sells iPods or sells software? Yeah, it was it was a little bit of both. I'd, I'd become friends with one of the assistant managers and, and I expressed to her that, you know, hey, I'd like to stay on. I would really like to explore, you know, some opportunities past the sales floor. And that was pretty, in hindsight, pretty brave as a seasonal guy. But um, she agreed. And, you know, we, um, at that time I'd, I'd been using the Mac for a while and definitely knew my way around it. I, I sort of, you know, it was helping people on the floor kind of above and beyond what you were supposed to do as a salesperson. Um, but I couldn't help myself. And I think they recognized right. that sort of like, well, he's going to do it either way. So we might as well put it behind the bar. Um and so for, for me, at least, it was very fluid. I, I know guys who were there before and after me who waited a long time for, for an opening. It really was smooth for me, kind of the right place at the right time. Also, I think your enthusiasm probably bled through and they, they're like, OK, here's somebody that we want to promote. Yeah, it was pre uh, it was pre dog cow tattoo. But, you know, I had to I had to swear that I would get one. So I guess <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I guess that worked. <laughs> the, um, did, did the training like you get? for that stuff. Like I was just thinking, for instance, the hardware training, I understand. And, and for most people listening to the show, they're not that interested. You know, I mean, if something goes wrong inside your Mac, you're going to bring it in. Unless you're Katie Floyd, who takes, what was it? 17 screws out on Christmas. and replaces. 27. Yeah. I was following along yeah. with that. You did, you did a good job. Thank you. Yeah. I, I should <laughs> but, mention that it was smashed beforehand. So some of those screws didn't go back in so easy. Yeah. yeah. That, that definitely happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, uh, but the, the software stuff, I'm a little curious. I mean, do they, um, when they, at least back then, did they have specific tools or were they using off the shelf stuff? I mean, what kind of training did you get to manage OS 10? Yeah, it was all, uh, custom, like Apple written curriculum. You know, the, our, my trainer, um, was an Apple employee and it was, you know, there was no talk of things like disc warrior or any third party tools. It was all what, what does OS 10 itself give you? to tell it, you know, to tell you what's going wrong with it. And, and the reality is OS 10 gives you a rich, a rich supply of tools and of, of mechanisms. If something's acting up to discover what, what the problem is. And so it was, it was about sort of tapping into those things and learning, you know, what the Mac is trying to tell you through these various issues. You know, if your Mac fails to boot up, it's very important to notice what, at what stage it fails, because depending on what stage it fails at could tell you, it's this sort of problem. It's that sort of problem. Hey, go check this. 
And so it was kind of learning to to read those signs and, and understand what was going on. How much of that stuff is still applicable at this point now that we're, you know, a little bit past Tiger? Yeah, I think a lot of it still is. I mean, things like power on self-test. When you hit the power button, your Mac you know, makes that iconic chime sound. Well, that's an indicator that the machine has has passed its power on self-test. So things like RAM, things like speakers, a certain list of hardware checks out. So if a computer doesn't post, you can kind of guess, well, it's one of those things that that test looks for. Um, so when you say it doesn't post, you mean it doesn't make the chime? It doesn't make the chime. Okay. Um, and so, you know, and a lot of it, I mean, sitting here in front of a, a MacBook Pro running Yosemite, like Yosemite and Tiger are obviously very different, but the kernel's still more or less the same. You know, a lot of the, the tools at our disposal are more or less the same. So I think a lot of it, at least in broad strokes, is still definitely applicable all these years later. Yeah, I, you know, I'm so lucky with my Macs. I just don't have that much problem that even though I do a podcast and write about this stuff, I still find myself having to go back and look at the startup keyboard options if I'm troubleshooting something. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, I just I think don't that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, a you know, back in classic Mac OS, everyone knew what the shift key did because your extensions would explode all the time. The fact that that is not the case now, I think, is a good thing. I think it's good that you have to go look that up when you need it. Right. And so you said about half of it was hardware and about about half of it was was software based training. I mean, did they actually have you in there with with do the geniuses do that or do you send that stuff a lot of that stuff off site? I mean, when when I take my Mac into a genius bar because it needs a logic board replacement or that may be a a, a high end case, but you know a, a a hard drive replacement or something, is that something that's that's really being done in the back room or is it getting shipped off or does it depend? Yeah, it, it definitely depends. All the desktop stuff is done in stores. As far as I know, that's still the case. But the notebooks um, will ship to various companies. So one of them is Flextronics. Actually, here in Memphis, I could drive over there faster than I could ship my computer to them, like 15 minutes from my house. And then CTS in Houston, these two companies that do they do a lot. I mean, like Flextronics fixes Xboxes and I mean anything. But a lot of times a genius or a genius room will decide, hey, we're going to ship something off. Because maybe it's more cost effective if it's out of warranty. Or a lot of times, at least when I was running our genius room, it was about workload. It was like, if I can ship this thing and get it back faster than my guys can get to it, I'm going to ship it because that's going to be better for the for the customer. So I think there's a lot of sort of gray area with notebook repairs as to as to what the genius might do, depending on a bunch of factors. And then how do you get comfortable doing that? Is it just trial and error and training or... It's a lot. I mean, they, they train you well. And and now, you know, recently, the last, I don't know, four or five years, they're machine specific certification. So, for instance, David, you're Retina iMac. Uh, I believe there's a certification test before a genius can open that machine of, you know, what are the the oddball things? You know, that computer is a little bit different than the iMac that preceded it. And so what are the things I need to know before I pull that glass off of it? So the training's really good. You have a lot of resources available to you. A lot of guides, you know, like iFixit does a really good job. Apple has a whole library of that stuff internally. So you can follow along if, if it's a repair you don't do very often or maybe have never done before. But the but the training really gives you the good basis of, hey, you know, don't over torque screws. Apple uses, you know, really, unfortunately, really soft screws in some of their stuff. It's like, hey, don't put a lot of pressure on these things. Or you're going to round it out and then you're in trouble. Um, and, and once you start doing it, it really becomes second nature. If If someone brought me a white classic MacBook today, I could replace anything in it still because I did it so much and became so familiar with it where you really just learn, you know, like any other skill, you just learn how to do it and and you learn the efficiencies in it the, the more often you have to, to get in there. 
It becomes motor skills exactly. at one point. Yeah. The um and and frankly, um, I guess in some ways I would say the newer Macs are a little bit easier to get into than the older ones, but then there's so little you can do once you get inside them anymore. Yeah, and that was that trend was starting when I left of, you know, these you know, with like my MacBook Pro, for instance. It's basically one big part inside. There are a few discrete parts like the fans and I think the SSD on this is not, I think it's separate still. Maybe. No, not on the Pro, it is on the Air, excuse me. But, you know, it's definitely simpler to your point. You know, an old MacBook Pro with the silver keys had like the ports on the left side and the logic board with all the other stuff were separate parts. I mean, it really was a lot of different things sandwiched together. And as they've gotten simpler... In some ways, that makes a genius job easier of if it's any one of these 12 things, it's getting a logic board. But it, at the same time, it means that there's fewer low cost repairs. You know, if, if a stick of RAM goes out on an old computer, not a big deal. I can go buy a new stick of RAM off Crucial and pop it in. But if it's soldered to the board and that RAM goes bad, then I'm looking at a logic board and that could be really expensive. And there's definitely pros and cons as Apple has simplified these things. Yeah, I just read an article this week about a guy over at iFixit, one of the it wasn't one of the main guys. It's I think it was one of their editors who had a. Uh, I think Stephen linked that article. Uh, yeah, I linked to it after oh, I you? finished yeah. the one where the guy put it in the oven and yeah, drilled he holes in it. His, his logic board. Yeah, I, I posted <laughs> I that after I. You. Yeah. yeah, I posted it after I pulled myself up off the floor crying. <laughs> yeah, so just that for people listening, the uh, so the logic board went bad in his his older Mac, and he decided that the solder joints had lost their connection somewhere. So his solution was to take the whole Mac, the logic board out of the Mac and stick it in the oven. I think what was it like 400 degrees he he baked it at? Yeah, he basically used the bacon method on his logic board. Yeah, so it got hot enough that the solder would melt and reconnect. And then the other thing he did that I thought was actually interesting was this is an older Mac obviously and he was having a heat problem. He drilled holes in the case <laughs> yeah. under underneath the heat sinks. And according to his article, uh, it actually made a significant difference in the amount of heat the, uh, the device was holding. I, I totally believe, believe it, but it's sort of one of those things that makes my, makes me feel a little funny inside when I see it. Yeah. I, I'm not sure I could do it either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at some point you think, what have you got to lose? That's, yeah, true. that's true. Very true. It's just like the old days with the the old mushy keyboards where people would post about putting them in the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. I, I never yeah. really got over that. I don't think I could do that. Yeah, my brain would be screaming the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so you, you worked at Apple. I guess I, I don't want to spend the whole show talking about it, but in terms of culture, I mean, Apple does kind of have this mystique. Is it... Um, and I worked for Disneyland, and I, I remember it did have an interesting culture when you worked there. Um, what's it like at at the Apple store or is it different? They they definitely try to push that corporate culture down. And the genius program is a big way they do that because we're the only ones who got to go out to Cupertino at the time. And so it's, um, you know, now the creatives, the guys who teach the one to one-on-one stuff, they, they get to go to training as well. And so there, there's definitely venues for Apple to push their ideas down onto retail. But I think at least in my experience, for the most part, the people I worked with were Apple fans. They were people just like me. And so they already self-identified with the culture that Apple has. And so it it definitely felt, you know, more special than just a retail job. You know, that compared to something like Best Buy, like I can't even imagine what that must, what must be like. Because uh, you definitely, 
you know, you step onto the floor and, and, and you do feel like you're doing something important, even in the back of your mind, you know, that you're making not great money and you're selling, you're trying to sell Apple care to people, but it behind the scenes, there's definitely a feeling of I'm part of something bigger. I'm part of something that, you know, it, it matters. Well, one of the smart things they did, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but as I understand it, there's no real commission for the um, employees. Right. Which and, I think is great. That makes such a difference for the shopping experience in terms of getting recommended what you actually need versus what they make the most money off of. Absolutely. And I don't, you know, I go into a Best Buy quite often. I feel like people are trying to upsell you. Oh, yeah, they they most definitely are. Well, Stephen, I think we want to talk a little bit more about, you know, your your love of old Macs and, and how that has become a, a hobby for you. But before we do, why don't we why don't we take a quick break? And David, you want to tell us about our first sponsor? I'd love to, Katie Floyd. And our first sponsor today is lynda.com. And the new year is here. And what a great time to get good at something. And lynda.com can help you. Kickstart your new year and challenge yourself to learn something new with this trial at lynda.com. Lynda is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses. That's three with three zeros after it. I can't just get over. Every time I log on, there's more great courses available. And they have topics like web development, photographer, visual design, and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop. We did a thing at my office because we were having trouble getting people to use Word correctly, where we brought in, you know, a pizza and put lynda.com on the screen and watched all the lynda.com Word training, and now my whole office is better at Word. Um, I know, that's. I'm not sure if that's a victory or not, but (laughs) we are all better at Word. Um, All of the courses are taught by experts and new courses are added to the site each week. Whether you want to set new financial goals, find work-life balance, invest in a new hobby, or ask your boss for a raise, find a new job, improve upon your current job skills in 2015, lynda.com is something for everyone. So sign up for your free 10-day trial today by visiting lynda.com slash MacPowerUsers, and you'll get unlimited access to every course course on lynda.com, access to the new tutorials on tablets and iPhone, plus Android mobile devices, access to new courses added every week. Some of the courses and videos I recommend are um, the iOS 8 stuff they have. They have iPhone and iPad essential training, which is pretty good. Uh, They've got setting up your mobile office to work from anywhere. And that's actually quite useful. There's some great stuff in there. They've got stuff in there about speeding up and maintaining your Mac. You know, you might not be sent to Cupertino on Apple's dime, but you can go to Linda and you can learn quite a bit. Um, All this stuff is great. And they're adding new ones every week. Uh, I... I've talked earlier, but I really like the Getting Things Done series with David Allen. Um, I'm curious about Evernote, so I've been watching their Evernote stuff. Um, Even just recently, as I've been uh, struggling with some issues of iCloud, I've been watching the iCloud materials they have. So whatever it is that you're interested in, if you go in, they've got it. They've also got development stuff. If you decided 2015 is the year you're going to program your own app you can go in there and you could know nothing about it and just using lynda.com you can get all the training you want they've got a ton of great materials on apple's new swift programming language so so do something for yourself in 2015 and sign up for a free 10-day trial at lynda.com by visiting lynda.com slash mac power users go ahead learn something great in 2015 and let them know you heard about it from us thanks linda for the support so, Stephen, we talked about it a little bit, but um, 
you never really explained how you got into this love of old Max. So is it just because you, you missed out on the old Max that you decided that you were, were going to go back and explore them? And, and how far has this obsession gone? I think, um, I think part of it is that I was really interested in Apple as a, as a company and as sort of like a cultural phenomenon, but like I said, did miss out on some of that. And so part of it is, um, some of it is that I think some of it is to know where you're going. You have to know where you've been. I think some of it is just that I'm like a lot of nerds get obsessive about things. And, um, and then that has its, its upsides and downsides. The downside is that I have a lot of old Mac stash around my house, much to my uh, wife's um, pain and suffering. And that, you know, they don't all work. I'm not like trying to browse the internet on an Apple two C. I don't really recommend that, but it's about, Hey, the Apple two C was kind of cool. I personally really like the way it looks and it has an important place. And so I picked one up and it sort of has spiraled uh, past that. How many do you have now? Actually, that's a great question. I'm actually uh, opening, I have a little Evernote document of my Oh my collection. gosh, if, if, if you can't count them, then that that's a big number. Yeah, it's um, roughly, I mean, it's like three or four various Apple IIs, maybe there might be 18 or 19 Macs on here, and then a bunch of accessories. So it's not, I'm not like one of those... Like they're not on display. It's like if you came over, you would you wouldn't see many of them. But uh, they're definitely lurking in the shadows around this house. Where you do don't you, have where a do Mac you? museum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, some of them, you know, the 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 kind of rarer ones. Like I've got a cube that was actually a Christmas present from somebody. You know that that sits. You know where it it can be seen. Um, I think it's really good looking. You know, they're on bookcases. A couple of them are sort of like. And closets stashed around. You know, they all they all have a, a secret little place. Um, we were rearranging our pantry not too long ago, and I found a twelve inch PowerBook G four like up on a pantry shelf. I have no idea when I put it there, but apparently it was there. Um, and uh, so they're kind of you know just stashed around. So now, what do you do with them? Um, I'm working on documenting them for uh, I've done about a third of them. I'm going to put them all up on the site at one time with photos and like links about why I have them and why, you know, a lot of them I've written about over the years. So I'm working on documenting, um, you know, some of them, not all of them run, you know, especially the older stuff. It's if there's a, like my two C doesn't power on and like, it can be, I could spend just months trying to figure out why at this point. And so they're not necessarily for you. Some of them I do use occasionally. Um, my my clamshell iBook G3 is a good example where it can run basically like Mac OS 8 up through like 10.3. So I needed some screenshots for 10.0 for an article. So I installed 10.0 on it. So some of them are helpful in sort of the writing I do. But most of them are just, you know, like any other collection just for my sort of personal enjoyment. I had um years ago when my my oldest daughter was pretty young and she wanted to she's starting to write things for school and I didn't really want her to have a computer in her room connected to the internet and I had this SE30 sitting around I never could afford an SE30 when they were new but somebody sent me one once it was either a reader or the blog or listening yeah. to the podcast and it was so and that thing was still operating like a trooper so for for a while I had it set up in her room with a um with a floppy disk in it and she would write her stuff. I want to say it was Mac, right? But now I don't even remember what she was writing on. And then I had a floppy drive that would connect to my Mac so we could print. That's great. We didn't, we didn't have a printer. Yeah. Working, but so, so that was her first Mac was an SE 30. Yeah. SE 30 is a good machine. I've got a SE and a 30 and they're both, they both still run. They're both, they're the, thir the 30 in particular was a really 
popular like classic Mac and did really well for itself. It may be my favorite Mac ever. I don't know. I guess my favorite Mac ever are these Retina Macs because they're just so gorgeous. But yeah, I, I really do like the old toaster design. I have a lot of nostalgia for it. I remember in college using the the toaster, you know, mm-hmm. s- formatted Macintosh. So, but yeah, it, it, I can see how you can get into that, but I, I certainly don't have room to keep that stuff. In fact, I'm kind of just the opposite when, as soon as I get a new Mac, I either give mine to one of my kids or I sell it to Gazelle or do something. I don't, I don't keep stuff around. Yeah. I, I've, I definitely don't have much in my collection. That's like recent, like my MacBook pro that I used four years ago. Like I don't, I don't have that machine, that machine bankrolled my next machine, you know, but, um, you know, the, the, like, for instance, my, that I own a titanium power book. That's not the one that I had in high school and college, but it's just like it. And, you know, that was sentimental to me. It was kind of the first Mac that was, you know, sort of mine to use. And, and so that, you know, that's, that's probably one of the more modern ones actually, but one that, you know, means a lot to me. So I, I tracked one down and with the same specs and, and it runs and it's in great shape. So it can be rewarding just like just like any other collection, I think. 400 or 500? Uh, one gigahertz. Oh, with a gigabyte wow. of RAM. I was fancy wow. pants. Yeah. Uh, I was really sad because I got the titanium and then the aluminums came out like really shortly thereafter. I was like, uh, oh, no. But so, so that would have been like the second or third generation of the titanium. Yeah, it was the, the, it was the very last the very last one. So, yes, I, I think I think they had three three revs. But yeah, the the very first titanium. Uh, I was going to say 500 giga, uh, gigahertz, but I guess now that I think about it, it would have been 500 megahertz. Oh, yeah. 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 In, in hindsight, not so fast, but right. you know, was, at the time, the, just mind-blowing. was the very first new Mac that I ever owned. It was the very first brand new Mac that I bought you know, with my own money. And I bought it, I think, my junior or senior year of college, maybe, but um, – I don't remember the circumstances of it, but uh, I'd always had hand-me-down Macs or Mm -hmm. my family had a Mac. But um, after, you know, in the dark years, in the late 90s, my my family abandoned Macs. You know, my dad moved over to PCs for his business and I had an uncle who um, kept me um, in Macs and he would give me his hand-me-downs. And so... That's that's how I kept my Macs, and that was the first time that I, I don't remember. I had a little extra money left over for something. I don't know what it was, but that was my first brand new to me Mac purchase. And I was just like, I'm, I'm going all out. I'm there's these <laughs> 400 megahertz models, but man, I'm getting yeah. the 500 megahertz model. Yeah. And, Who needs this much power? I know. Yeah, you're gonna have that conversation about every two years. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but there's a real community out there of people that collect these old Macs. I mean, if you go out there, I know there's some great podcasts on it. I can't, I don't listen to them anymore. But I know there was one. I forget they called it the Mac Cave or something. These guys were really funny uh, gents that had these older Macs. They would mm-hmm. talk about every week. And I know there's websites out there like Low and Mac and and Steven's website Five Twelve Pixels. He has <laughs> yeah. this ongoing series with the older Macs and it is nostalgic to go back and look at them. I, you're not alone. Oh yeah. No. And the, the guys who run low and Mac are super nice. I've, I've talked with them and then there's the, uh, just last year, um, the iconic book, you know, which has sponsored a bunch of shows and, um, yes. you know, really like super high in photography of this really old rare stuff. And I actually have talked with him about getting photos for articles I've written. Jonathan's a super nice guy. And so I'm definitely, um, not, I won't say it's a popular hobby and like, but it's definitely one that I think people resonate with to a degree. Yeah, there's there are some collectors that are alone, you know, but yeah. you're not alone if you're collecting <laughs> yeah. old Macs. Yeah, like I collect, uh, you know, like fuel filters off Ford Rangers. I'm like, that, that's a that's a little 
precise, but old Apple stuff, you know, that that's fine. Good stuff. <laughs> well, it's a fun hobby, I'm sure. Well, we're going to move on, but before we do, I do want to take a break and talk about our next sponsor for this episode, and that is our fine friends over at AgileBits, and they are the makers of 1Password. And, you know, we've talked about 1Password a lot, but at the beginning of the year is when I really like to hammer things home about 1Password, because that is probably the single best thing that you can do to up your security game this year for both you and your family, is to really stress the importance of creating strong, unique passwords for all of your sites. The one thing you have got to stop doing this year is you have got to stop using that same insecure password or variations of it on the same website over and over and over again. We have seen data breaches and they're these they're, they're just going to keep happening. And I think 2015 is going to be the year of the data breach, the year where we're going to see uh, even more of our information get leaked and it's just going to be the new normal. And the best way you can protect yourself from that is by not keeping all of your information in these places and that knowing that when these data breaches happen, that they're not going to have access to all of your other data because then they can then take that information and go on and try it on multiple sites. And 1Password is going to help you with this because it is going to help you create strong, unique passwords for all of your sites and then remember all of those passwords for you and automatically fill them across all your devices, whether it be a Mac, whether it be a PC, whether it be an iPhone, whether it be an iPad, whether it even be an Android device. And it's going to keep all of this in sync either via Dropbox or iCloud. Uh, or if you don't want that information in the cloud, you can even sync it manually. It's going to autofill all of these passwords across multiple web browsers. Uh, and they even have a great feature called Secure audit that will let you know when your passwords are vulnerable because a website has been compromised or when you've used the same password across multiple sites and you need to go uh, change it. But if I can give you a tip, if you're a veteran user of 1Password, and that's to start using the attachment field. And you do have to hit the edit button to see it. So you may not see it if you're just browsing in 1Password. But that attachment field in 1Password can be very powerful. Um, I've talked about how I've used the attachment field before to help me create a digital wallet. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to put information about my credit cards or about um, my insurance cards or about my loyalty or reward cards, I'm going to go ahead and scan in a replica of that card. And I just run those through my standard ScanSnap scanner. Um, and I keep a digital copy of that as an attachment in one password. Uh, and that way, if I ever need the actual card itself, I know I've got it in a secure place. Um, and those attachments now sync back across to the iOS app as well as to the Mac app or to the Windows app or whatever version of the app you're using. Um, now, you do have to have the newest version of the iOS for it to sync across attachments, which means that if I ever lose my wallet uh, or if I ever need that attachment and I don't have my wallet, I have, know that I've got a place where I can quickly pull it up. Um, so go check them out. You can find more information over at onepassword.com. Uh, you can buy it on the Mac App Store. You can buy it on the iOS app store. Um, and I really think that this is the one thing that I must stress you have to do this year is get your password situation under control. And thanks to one password for their support of the show. That's a good use, Katie. I, I do the same thing and it's, it is very helpful if, you, if you've misplaced something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things I like, you have this great podcast you do um, over at Relay FM with Federico and Mike called Connected. And the um, you guys, it's a basically a Mac show, and or I guess I would say an Apple show. In fact, that's the thing that I like about it is Federico is famously, you know, obsessive about doing everything on his iPad, 
Yeah, and, that, that tension and, makes for good radio, I think. <laughs> yeah, and, and you really like using your Mac. I, I have to admit, I, I'm one of those weirdos that, you know, I figure I own both devices. I'll go ahead and just use them both, you know, whatever works, you know, at the time. But but I do like the fact that you guys are always kind of going back and forth. So getting you on the show, I was really looking forward to asking you, you know, what are some of your favorite applications and how are you pulling stuff off with your Mac? Yeah, a, a big thing of what I do across all the various like jobs or pseudo jobs I have is just is just dealing with team members. You know, uh, the day job at Rocket Fuel, at Relay, at the Suite Setup. Like I'm not in a vacuum anywhere, and so for me, a lot of what I do on my device is just communicating with team members of, hey, this is what we're working on, or I have this question, or they need something from me. And um, as of about. I don't know, maybe six or eight weeks ago, that sort of finally all gelled into one app. Um, and I know it's like a, a popular thing right now, but but Slack, which really is a fascinating like uh, combination of sort of chat room and instant messenger and a little bit of email. And so I've got rooms based on, you know, one at work, one for relay, one for the suite setup. And we, you know, I can go in, I can share files, we can communicate really easily at pushes to whatever device you're on it's it's very aware of what device is active at the time which is really handy um and that's replaced a lot of iMessage and a lot of email i used to do just back and forth with people i work with um that so, we have had so many guests talk about slack over yeah. the last six months and now what is the use case scenario i mean like for instance, like Katie and I have talked about it but it doesn't really seem to make sense for us because there's two of us to run our show and right we don't need, you know, we probably don't need a tool of the level of Slack. But at what point is that something someone should consider out there? Yeah, I know. So, so you can take like uh, those of us who work for for Sean Blanc. You know, we have the, he has the suite set up and tools and toys. And there's maybe I think there's five of us getting ready to be six of us who kind of work together on those on those sites. So it's not it's not a big team, and we definitely did it over iMessage for a long time, and and it was fine. But what sort of tipped the scales was okay, you know, like. Group iMessages kind of fall down sometimes. They split up. They they break. Um, iMessage, at least in my opinion, is very invasive. Even with Do Not Disturb now in iOS eight and Yosemite being like per thread, like iMessage is just like it's always making my phone go off. I don't want to turn it off in case someone else texts me something important. And so it was able to. We were able to isolate it into into its own little world. But within that world, we have a room for each of the websites. So we have a suite setup room. We have a tools and toys room. We have a couple of private chats, you know, for me and me and our copy editor, for instance, he and I have a, a private room where he and I just go back and forth because he and I are responsible for the, the, the line editing of the articles. And so it's really a, I think when you cross that line of, okay, I have several team members and they're sort of subgroups to those people and to those responsibilities. And I think, a tool like Slack makes a lot of sense in kind of once you're in that arena. But you also use it in your day job, right? I do. That's where I was introduced to it. Actually, we, we used instant message rocket fuels, a company of 21 people and we used instant message until the summer. And it was crazy. Like I, you know, there was inevitably someone who wasn't looped in on a conversation or had missed something because instant message just goes by so quickly. And so one of our developers actually sort of came across Slack and I'd heard of it, but hadn't spent any time with it. And he, they implemented it just in, in our development team. And very quickly, I was like, look, we need to use this across the company. And so it's similar to what we do with the the Blanc guys of, 
you know, we have a, a general chat that everyone's in, and then there's there's channels for development, design, you know, UX, you know, project management, you know, the team that I run. And it's just really helpful to have all that in one place. You know, we still use email at work, and there's obviously, you know, a place for that still in any job. And we still use a project management system, a team project management system. But for the day-to-day communication of, hey, how is this thing coming? Hey, look at this comp real quick. Um, the developers use it a lot to share snippets of code or, hey, I'm dealing with this problem. How would you approach it? Uh, it's sort of a always on like presence, even if someone's working remotely, that they're part of the, the flow of the conversation throughout the day. Well, you know, we've been talking about Slack a lot, and it seems like every time it's in the context of kind of like a tech related group or business but uh, I feel like it would be a good solution for a real estate company or just you know anybody that really wanted to communicate better with their team. Can you just go back a little bit and just kind of explain how it all works? Yeah. So so when you set up uh, a Slack channel, and Slack is very much based around the idea of of a company. So you create an account, or you're invited by an admin, and you have sort of uh, a couple different levels of communication. So you have public channels sort of like IRC, where everyone can see everything that people put in there. Uh, a lot of companies, at least the the three that I use it in, you know, we, we have a channel per topic or, or per team. And so the conversation can sort of reside within that channel. So if I need to catch up on everything that's happened in, in the design team at work, if I've been out, I can just scroll through the design channel and just see if there's anything that, that you know, I need to be aware of. And then you have private messaging, which can be one-on-one or a, a group. So one thing we started doing at at work, at the day job at Rocket Fuel, is we have, usually we'll have a private room for an individual project. So it doesn't clutter up the, the channels. And so, you know, in a company of 21 people, not everyone works on everything, right? So we have three designers and, you know, they're each working on roughly a third of what we're working on at any given any given week. And so you can have a space that's dedicated to that specific topic. So you've got channels, which in my mind are more broad, and then you have these these private rooms. Um, and what's what's great about Slack and what's clever about it is you can have integrations. And so we have a bunch of silly ones at work, you know, where you can fire a random GIF into a channel or something. But then we have one with New Relic, which is our uh, our sort of a, sort of like a CDN and in front of our in front of our uh, a. At work at Rocketfield, we have software as a service to build websites. And so it's our caching layer out in front. And so New Relic, if it is, you know, if we're under load, for instance, or say something is going wrong with the servers, uh, it's in Slack telling us, hey, you know, we have these critical errors going on. Someone needs to look at this. And so it it brings it can bring outside information um, into where you're communicating. At, at Relay, we have a channel that I hooked up the master feed for the, the network. So if you want to subscribe to one feed and get all of our shows, it's an RSS feed and that's plugged into Slack. So anytime someone posts an episode, it just pops into Slack of, Hey, you know, uh, inquisitive episode 21 was just posted. Here's a link to it. Um, maybe not super helpful, but interesting to get information that used to be in silos, sort of all in one public soup. And, and this stuff all has iOS apps and works across platforms. Yeah. You know, it's not just an Apple only thing. Right. And uh, and what is the fee for using Slack? I mean, once you get if you take it serious. Yeah, they've got a they've got a, a free version, which is great. It's what what we use um, at Relay and and with the um, 
the Sean uh, Sean Blanc guys. We need a name for ourselves instead of the Sean Blanc boys. But um, the, the <laughs> Blanc yeah, that's, boys, that's kind I like of a that. cool name. Yeah, yeah they um they do have a sort of professional tier that's like it's like six dollars a user or a month or like twelve dollars a user a month, and you get uh like the search archive goes deeper. Um, you on the free one you have certain limitations, and basically as you pay more, those limitations get lifted. Um. But for a small team, you know, of five, six, ten people, I think a free one get I think can take care of most people. You get all the iOS stuff, you get all the notification stuff. You know, the, the core free app is the app, and in my mind, paying for it just gets you more as opposed to the paid version is the real thing, and the free one has things stripped out. If if that makes sense, it seems like the real sweet spot is like the five to ten team members where this is just a great solution. I mean, maybe you're in a department at a university or you've got a small business um, and you're having trouble communicating. This this is a really great solution. And it's really just risen to the top for so long. There were many competing services in that realm. And now it just seems like everybody's just resolved that, okay, Slack's the one now. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. And they, they recently added multi-team support to the Mac app. So if, before, like we used it at at work at Rocket Fuel, but I couldn't use it at Relay or, or with the Blanc Boys because, like, I I don't want like three tabs open in Safari to do this, right? And so they they have realized that people use this like in various parts of their lives, and um, you have to give them credit for for a, their startup, but they're a big startup. They are extremely responsive to the client uh, wishes, and you know we've opened tickets before of hey, this would be really great if it just did like. This or this integration with something like New Relic is really helpful, but it, it's a little weird under these situations. And in my experience, they work very closely with their customers to build the service that their customers want. And I think that's a, I think that's a great thing. I, I wish more companies work that way. Honestly, now you've got me obsessing on what to call Sean's team. Yeah, yeah, because you know he's like a karate guy, right? Yeah, he's a black he belt. Like a black yeah. belt. So yeah. I think the word like. You know, Mac fist or something. I don't know. You're the fist of the Mac. Yeah. Or know. yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Keep keep working the, on that. The Kansas City, yeah. the Kansas City ninjas or something. There. Oh, there you go. Done. I'm gonna, Done. I'm gonna write that down. You can put that in Slack, right? Yeah. To everybody right now while we're talking. I can. So yeah. So Slack <laughs> is a, a great tool, but you know, getting back to the fact that you're the Mac guy. Um. Are you, now you've you've made mention you've got a MacBook Pro. Is that your main machine? It is. Yeah, I've got the 13 inch Retina, and uh, my first Retina Mac, and and like you have completely fallen in love and can't look at anything else. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's ruined well, me. You were, ta- you were talking about the white MacBook, and I was a uh, over the holidays. A family member of mine is still very successfully using her white MacBook. Mm-hmm. She loves it, and um, I was looking at the screen, and I'm like, "What the is? What's yeah, going on with the screen? I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it is." significantly worse than just the non-retina screens they're using these days. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I, I was surprised of how bad it looked. But the um, but I think it's just this retina thing screwing yeah. with my head. As you were talking, <laughs> I was looking at the outline and admiring the 512 pixels in retina type. I, yeah. I can still get, I can still fall into that hole. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I use a 13-inch retina and it it's, I own it. Um, I had a, a rocket fuel a uh, rocket fuel supply machine but i was using that machine for like all my side stuff and felt a little icky about it and so bought bought this machine i use it at work kind of a bring your own device situation and then like it's it's all in here just the one computer handles everything i bought the pro so i could do the audio stuff with mike but 
you know, the the side effect is I get retina display all the time, which is wonderful. Yeah, it's great. And and getting by with one Mac is just fine anymore. Oh, I yeah. Mean, and uh, uh, although two is nice, too, I'll have to say now that I've got a second one running again, it's there are certain things I'm enjoying about it. Yeah. Um. And, and so you've got the retina the 13 inch you didn't go with the 15 i didn't i you know from the titanium power book until you know i switched to the uh, the first 13 inch macbook pro i owned that for a little while but i was a 15 inch guy for a long time but especially during the day i'm in meetings a lot i'm i'm in and out of the car in and out of offices a lot and the i knew i needed more power than the macbook air gave me but still wanted to remain portable so i do like the 15 inch and if i didn't move around so much i would i would have gone with that but the 13 is a good combination of power and portability in my mind so um uh it, it definitely works for me I think are you it's thinking like, about this this new 12 inch something something that may be coming you know that's a that's interesting i've written some about that i don't know if i buy into the it's not going to have fans and the trackpad being crazy but I, I would definitely want to look at it um but you know I, i'm definitely happy with the 13 inch machine for now so we'll we'll, we'll never know how the how the future plays out. If history is any indication, I'll only have this machine another 12 months or something and then make a change. So (laughs) we'll see. I think Katie's already got hers ordered. There you go. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm itching for something. I I love my 13 inch MacBook air. I'd kind of like a little more power, but I'd also kind of like something a little bit smaller too. Yeah. And the, the battery life going from an air to a pro is pretty significant more so than I expected. Honestly, you know, the MacBook air, I never carried my power charger with me during the day. Moving to the MacBook Pro, I definitely do. It's still good battery life, but the Air is such a league of its own, power-wise. It's it. It was a little jarring to me, honestly. The the drop that I, I saw in in runtime. Well, and the the Air that I have is is the one version right before they did that big battery life jump. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's no, that's so. no fun. <laughs> but I'm just like, nope, not upgrading yet. Nope, not, nope, it's coming. Yeah, it's still coming. On, holding nope, on nope. for it. I know this is. I think about the longest that I've kept a machine in a while, and. Ugh. Yeah, well, hopefully your your patience will be rewarded soon. I, I think so. it's I think it's a really interesting question if you want a 13 inch laptop if you get the the Air or the Pro because the Pro really is not that much heavier or bigger than the Air and it's significantly more powerful. It's got that Retina screen and and frankly it's significantly more expensive. So yeah. I mean there there's some real trade offs, but but in terms of just the size trade off, there's not much of a trade off. Between yeah. well, the Pro and the Air at this point. And keep in mind, I may have made a different decision, David, but I've had this 13-inch Air since before the 13-inch Pro existed. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I, I suspect if the Pro had existed, you probably would have got one of those. Right. Yeah. I probably would have. Makes sense. But but now i got to wait and see what the 12-inch is. Yeah. Okay, so and I know there's a thing on your show about how you're the Mac guy, but do, do you use an iPad? I do. I've got an iPad mini, and I, I use it pretty heavily just not the way federico does so my my ipad like i fall squarely into the it is a consumption device i do take some meeting notes on it occasionally um our project manager system at work runs on it so it's it's nice to like if i got to get up and go to a meeting and my laptop's all plugged into all my crazy stuff i can just take that with me but you know at home on the couch it's netflix and instapaper and safari it's not uh i'm not writing articles on it i'm not you know sometimes i'll do show research on it but it's again just sitting things into the paper i'm not you know i'm not really pushing it at all especially compared to federico but it, it, i'm much more in sort of the what people think of ipad users like that's that's the camp i'm in 
Okay, yeah, but see, let I'm, me let me ask you this because I I use mine a little bit more for productivity than I think that that you do, but but still, even as someone who uses it almost strictly for consumption, has it changed your life still? I think so. It's what, what I really like about it, especially at home and with, and with kids and everything. I, I can be reading something and I can be, you know, I can just sit it aside very quickly. It's you know, sitting on laptop on the couch or at the dining room table with a MacBook Pro, like. It, you're not as quick to action, right? Because you have your whole computer and you have your whole setup, right. and um, and so for me, it's 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 nice that it's I can pick it up and sit it down really easily. And I do like the you know as cheesy as it might sound, like the one app at a time. Like I'm reading an article, I'm not being distracted by Tweetbot going off in the background. Like there's there's definitely advantage to that sort of thing, right? Um, and I mean, I think I think my test for that is if if you picked it up and you dropped it, you know, this afternoon. And it smashed on the floor and, and it was just dead. Would you have another one tomorrow? Uh, probably not. I mean, I, I would get around oh. to it, but um, and I've never, I mean, since they've been out, I've owned an iPad consistently, right. but because it's not like, like from the having a MacBook Pro, like I'd be at the Apple store this afternoon because I can't do, I can't like make my living without the Mac, but I can without the iPad. So it would be a, a little bit lower of a priority. I, I could definitely get by without it if it, if it came to it. See, I, I I use mine for productivity, but but probably not as much as David, and certainly not as much as, as Federico. But I still think that it's 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 a device that has changed my life uh, for for the positive in so many ways. Even if I'm just using it for a consumption device, and I think people sometimes poo poo that of oh, you're just using your iPad as a consumption yeah. device. Well, you have no idea. And I'm like, you know <laughs> right. what? If if I love using my iPad as a consumption device, and and I get joy and pleasure out of that, and it's changed my life, and it makes my my life easier using my iPad as a consumption device, then then that's great. Then th- you know what? If I smashed my iPad, I yes, I could go a few days without my iPad while I was waiting for a new one to come on order. But I would go out and buy one the next day. You know, I would make sure that I had another one coming because yeah. it's become it it has become another device. It has become that important to me. I think I think that's that's definitely fair. And, and there are some productivity stuff like friends. I do my OmniFocus reviews on the iPad because a OmniFocus for iPad is just so good. It's, it's my favorite version of the app and it has been as long as it's existed. But again, it's the idea of, you know, I can sit down, you know, with a cup of coffee or something and I'm just in this world for a, a little while. You know, if I'm at my Mac, I've got, you know, a billion things running. I've got scripts going up, firing stuff off in the background, like all sorts of nutso stuff that is ultimately can be distracting. And so to be able to sit down like in OmniFocus and do my review and, and be considerate about it and really think about, okay, like is it, do these, you know, does this set of actions still make sense for me based on what's happened in the, in the last week? Like that sort of sitting down and thinking about things is, is, is good, but I get frustrated by the, you know, text input and that I'm just much faster on the Mac than I am on, on iOS. And so I revert back to the Mac whenever it's feasible. Yeah. But for an OmniFocus entry, how much of a difference does that make? Yeah, it's two or three words. Right, right. Yeah, not, definitely, definitely not much. Um, but you know, it's it's. I can't think of anything where I would close my MacBook Pro and go pick up the iPad, though. You know, kind of at the same time. Yeah, I'm I'm um I'm kind of in between you guys because I I do use a lot of uh, content creation on my iPad, and I like the the freedom it gives me. Like you know, my my wife loves Disneyland, and we go there quite often with the family. And sometimes I'm all for it, and sometimes I'm really busy. 
but I'll take my iPad and go sit in the lobby and get a cup of tea and let them go have some fun for a while. And I will get real work done. And it's just so portable. Uh, but, but, you know, where I have the troubles like Federico and we've had him on the show, he does some great stuff, but just, you know, when you start getting into complex scripts and things, I just don't, that's where I, I run into barriers and it's not that I couldn't do that stuff, but it just feels to me that it's just, it's just too awkward. Why not just do that part of it on the Mac? Um, but, but, you know, in 2015, I think we're going to see some really great software coming out. I mean, Workflows is out now and, and you know, Ulysses has announced they're going to have an iPad version. There's going to be some, I think, a new generation of sho- software showing up on the iPad that's going to make it even more useful this year. So. Yeah. So we'll see. And then there's this rumor about, you know, the iPad Pro or this <laughs> yeah. I guess, 13 inch iPad. Yeah, the family sized iPad. <laughs> I don't know what all that means, but it'll be fun to see if that actually comes out, how it all works. Um, so it, it's an interesting time. But I guess the reason I, I got to the question to begin with was you were talking about running around doing meetings at work. And for me, that's like the perfect use case for an iPad. But it sounds like you're just taking your Mac with you. Yeah. And a lot of that is the the nature of my meetings, you know, if I'm with a client, we're looking at design comps for a new website, or if I'm with developers or an internal meeting, you know, we, you know, the Mac's usually plugged into the television in the conference room. And because I'm the, I run our project management department, I'm usually the one running the meetings. And so I have by nature of that, you know, the need to, to have more tools at my disposal. And not that I couldn't, you know, airplay or, or display mirror uh, a website up to, the TV, but you know, a developer might ask, "Hey, go into you know, go into Dev Tools and make this tweak, and let's see if that does what we want it to do." And so, I need that the those options available to me. But if it's a client meeting, you know, we're just talking about goals or something. The iPad's a great tool for that. But usually, I just need more horsepower, so I I, I grab the MacBook Pro. Yeah. Well, speaking about getting stuff done, uh, let's talk a little bit about how you juggle all of that stuff that you have to do to uh, get done. But uh, before we do, I want to take a break and talk about our next sponsor for this episode. Uh, and that is the folks over at SaneBox who help me get all of my stuff done every day. Uh, and if you want to check them out, head over to SaneBox.com uh, slash MPU and you can save some uh, money on any plan that you pick up. And, you know, we've been speaking with the SaneBox folks and they say that uh, Mac Power users listeners uh, have the vast majority of them who try SaneBox have subscribed. So uh, if you haven't gotten around to it yet, uh, chances are you'll probably love it too. And what SaneBox does is it helps you manage your email. Uh, They have amazing email filtering. You can connect it up with just about any email address that you have. And it's going to help you focus on what really matters because uh, our email inboxes have become such a chore to try to get through because we get so much email that really doesn't matter. And SaneBox is going to help you with that. Uh, As soon as you sign up, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to give you a new email box and they're going to call it the Sane Later box. And what they're going to do is they're going to use these really smart algorithms to figure out what is your most important email, and they're going to move that to your inbox and move everything else to the same later folder. And they will get smarter as they go along. They'll uh, they'll learn if you find something important in your same later folder, move it to the inbox, and they'll never make that mistake again. If you find something in your inbox that's not so important, move it to the same later folder, and they'll continue to learn. And after a couple of days of using SaneBox, you'll, you'll find that it's, it's accurate almost 100% of the time. 
And then you can start creating your own custom folders. Uh, you can add additional features like the same black hole, which means if you get email from a mailing list or someone that's a little nefarious and you're not sure you want to click on that unsubscribe link, drag them over into the same black hole and you will never hear from this sender again. And then you can start creating these custom folders, like custom snooze folders to defer email uh, until certain days. Like maybe you want to create a folder for Monday. So uh, if email comes in over the weekend or after work hours, Throw it into your Monday snooze folder and that email will pop back into your uh, inbox on Monday. Or maybe you want to create a snooze folder for the weekend. Maybe uh, you get a bunch of email in your personal life that you don't really have time to deal with until Saturday. I've got a same snooze folder for Saturday morning. Throw the email that I can't deal with until the weekend in there. Saturday morning at 7 a.m. it pops back in my inbox and I know that I can go through it. Uh, there's also a great feature called Sane Reminders. So if I send somebody an email, I can BCC something like, say, one week at SaneBox.com. And if whoever I send that email to doesn't reply to me within a week, I'll get a reminder to follow up. And you can pick anything. You can pick, you know, one week, one month, or a specific date like April 15th. Uh, and then they can do things with your attachments, like they can move your attachments to Dropbox or other cloud service, and they are getting better all of the time. Uh, I love SaneBox. They have various pricing plans that start as low as just a couple of dollars a month. Uh, they've got a 14-day free trial for our Mac Power users listeners. Give them a try, and once you decide to buy, and I think you will, because it took me 48 hours before I decided that SaneBox was changing my life, uh, Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU, and they'll save $10 on any plan. Uh, thanks to SaneBox for their support of the show, and uh, go get a better grip on your email this new year. You know, the thing I like about SaneBox is it gives you the ability to use those tools in any mail app. You don't have to get a custom app to do a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So wherever you're working, it will work with you. Yeah. All right. So, Stephen, what are what are your tricks? I mean, we, we talked at the beginning of the show you got 512 pixels, you've got relay, you've got the suite setup, you've got the day job, you've got the family. How, how do you get all this stuff done? <laughs> well, I'm I'm lucky in the regard that I can sort of shape my schedule to to a degree. I mean, the day job is, you know, 9 to 5 and an occasional weekend if I'm on support, but it's it's more or less 9 to 5. I don't I don't have to do a lot of if any after hours uh work at this point, which is which is really nice. And so I have the opportunity to shape what the evenings look like. And, you know, most of this is, you know, after the kids go to bed, with the exception of recording connected, which is right sort of at the end of the work day. Um, and so if you, if you like for the sweet setup, for instance, you will, if you look through the archives, you'll notice that we post our big reviews on Tuesdays for the most part. And so Monday, if we have a review, which is usually about twice a month, Monday night is sort of the like, Everyone's running around with their hair on fire trying to get it all, you know, put into WordPress and all the images in and everything. So we unfortunately, you know, are working last minute a lot of the time. And so I know that if if that's coming up, I know in advance because, you know, I, I control the schedule. I know that, hey, you know, January 9th and January 22nd, we're going to have reviews up. And so I can plan, hey, you know, the night before I need to make sure that I'm at least around if the guys have questions or if I need to hop in and do something. And so a lot of it is just planning of just knowing that. You know, hey, this is when these things need to to be done, and then having them. Um, I use OmniFocus, having them in OmniFocus set up correctly, and respecting that. Hey, you know, when when these things come up, you know, there are people who rely on me. Again, I I don't work in a vacuum. Um, you know, even with Relay with Mike full time, you know, there are things that are solely on my shoulders with Relay, and that if I don't get them done, 
it holds up other things. And so to to understand those responsibilities, but to delegate when when possible, I get to do that at the day job. I get to do it with the uh, Kansas what do we call them Kansas City Ninjas and uh, and with Relay as well. So knowing what I can do, knowing when I need to do it, knowing in advance when possible. And then knowing when to say, hey, you know what, this needs to come off my plate and, and go on to someone else's. And and that sort of combination, it sounds like a lot of stuff, but really so far um, has gotten the job done most of the time. You know, something I rely on a lot with OmniFocus is scripts. Do you have you done like the template script or some of those others to kind of uh, um, systematically add these projects? Yeah, a little bit. So I've got one that is set up for for a sweet setup review. And so how it works, we find a freelancer or maybe it's one of our own staff or maybe it's me. And I, I have certain milestones I need to hit with that. You know, I need I know that I need a draft X number of weeks before the publication date. I know that I need that draft revised, you know, and back to the writer. And I know I need it, you know, the writer makes a round of revisions and it comes back to me and it needs to go to our copy editor. And I know roughly when those things need to happen. And so, you know, I can, I can template that stuff and then go in and tweak as needed. Um, but especially at, at rocket fuel during the day, a lot of what I do is, is scripted. So we use, we use a product called uh, teamwork PM and it's a crazy like online uh, team task management system. And if you don't work in an agency or with a team, you have no need to look it up, but it's really powerful with being able to set up templates and set up, um, it's not really scripting cause it's online, but set up, Hey, you know, if I affect this over here, it's going to cascade down to all these other things. And so spending the time to learn that stuff and to really make a tool sing can save you so much time on the back end. And in the long term, it's really worthwhile seeing like what's available to you to, you know, if I got to hit 20 checkboxes or I can spend half an hour fiddling with something and then only hit two checkboxes in the future, that's what is more valuable to me. So I'm going to figure out how to do that. And I'd recommend if you're interested in this stuff for OmniFocus, the one that you want to check out is the one by Chris Sauv, S-A-U-V-E. And you can find it at cmsauve.com. Uh, he's got one called Template Script that you can set up in OmniFocus. And there's a little bit of fiddling with it. I covered it actually in my OmniFocus video, but he's got a screencast on his site. If you just want to do, you can figure it out there. But, you know, it's a little fiddly. you got to put it in. You put kind of wild cards in the tasks. But for instance, prepping for a Mac Power User Show, doing an advertiser at MacSparky.com, writing discovery and the day job. I mean, I've got many of these scripts that I use and it allows me to very quickly set up a project that I do repeated repeatedly and it just happens so fast and then I've got everything wired and I can go through and have it show up in OmniFocus. It's it's a really great it's a great tool. Absolutely. If you're out there and you're thinking about it, I mean stop thinking about it. Just just dedicate an hour to figuring this out and you'll get that hour back very quickly. Oh yeah. One one thing I started doing, um, as someone who's used OmniFocus for a long time, I've always struggled with like when does something become a project? And I over I guess over the fall, just like my whole system really like fell down, especially at work. And um I took some time and took everything out of OmniFocus, uh, work related, and was like, Hey, I need to really think about how this is structured. And what I've what I realized that my own failing at the system was I was very stingy about what became a project. And and so I've really made a, a conscious effort of if it's more than a couple of tasks, like it's it's going to become a, a a project and where in the future I might have tried to shoehorn it somewhere else or have like 
big generic like broad stroke projects um i've learned that you know i can really drill down and where that really pays off is in the review cycle of you know um hey is is this project even still relevant as opposed to like all of relay fm stuff being stuck in a relay fm project there's eight or nine projects in there and that that helps me kind of get a fine grained look at what i'm doing but also you know i can i can drill down and i can really think about one particular aspect of my work at a time and that that to me at least has been a very helpful change and and might seem basic to someone but you know especially if you're busy those little building blocks of whatever system you use can really make it like trip up like trip you up really badly or really just make the whole thing flow much better it's definitely good every once in a while i think to kind of look at how you're working in these things and and seeing if it still makes sense yeah, for instance, like I could see you having a single action list for uh, Relay FM or whatever project you're with, 512 pixels. And all of a sudden, you have got in this 20 different tasks that really are five different projects. Yeah, that's definitely how it was until like four months ago. <laughs> yeah, and so so you're you're knocking them off, but you don't really feel like you're ever getting anything done. And And frankly, one of the other advantages of actually having projects is there's completion. You know, you start the project, you finish the project, and then the project is out of your life. And to me, there's a little bit of a a chemical release or something when I, when I finish a project that is totally worth it to me. And it makes me feel like I'm making progress. Whereas I've got this seemingly infinite single action list that never ends and it gets frustrating. So I, I can see where you're going with that. Yeah, absolutely. For instance, this weekend, uh, we spent some Christmas money on a sofa and a new entertainment center. And so this, after we get done today, I've got to go move, two ethernet drops in my living room down about six feet because they're not behind an entertainment center anymore. They're kind of hanging out on the wall. And my wife was like, do you have to move those? And so, you know, I had a, you know, living room revamp project and it was, you know, before it was like, Hey, you know, find a sofa. We like read some reviews about these, you know, this entertainment center or whatever. And the only thing left in there now is to move those drops over. And when I do that this afternoon, I'm going to mark that project complete. And it's like a little hit in your brain of, Hey, good job. You did something great. And it's um it's a powerful little uh, little chemical that gets released when you check that box in OmniFocus. Now you said you you do your review on the iPad, but do you also use the the Mac and the iPhone versions? Uh, I do. If I have a, a repeating task on on Friday afternoons uh, to to review, kind of the the end of the week, what got done, you know, what got added, that, that sort of sort of how I approach it. And and generally, I will do that on the iPad. Um, but, you know, day to day, like sitting at my desk, sitting at my dining room table, writing, you know, OmniFocus on the Mac is always open. And that's definitely my first line of defense. But for the review in particular, I like something about the iPad version really clicks with me um, to sit down and just think deeply about each of these each of these little buckets. Now, OmniFocus is great for managing your individual tasks, but you also work with the teams. How do you integrate between like Slack and OmniFocus? Yeah, that's uh, ever like ever present point of friction for me. Um, so at work we use, like I said, we use teamwork PM and I have tasks assigned to me either by myself or by other, other team members at work that live in teamwork. So I can go to my little, my task list in that, in that web app and I can see what I've been assigned, but that unless I move them over manually, that's, that's not accounted for in my, in my OmniFocus list. So that's a point of friction and I'm forever tinkering with how much of that do I bring over how much of that do I leave in teamwork and just deal with it there? Um, 
But as far as as the other stuff with um, Sean and those guys, we use Basecamp for we have a couple different projects in there, and we you know what we're doing is is relatively basic task wise. Um, you know, hey, this article's ready for for Jeff to copy edit or. Hey Bradley, can you go uh you know update that old review? It's it's very simple stuff. So Basecamp works really well for for those guys. And um you gotta hand it to Basecamp. Um, you know, they 37 Signals went through a pretty big change, I guess, last year maybe, and they revamped Basecamp and it's a lot better. The mobile apps are really good. And so they've they've come a long way. And so then when you get something in Basecamp, do you then just put it in your task management system? I, I generally do if it's something that is is you know squarely on my shoulders if something goes by you know if 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 chris is passing an article to jeff and it doesn't need to go through me or it already has you know i know jeff's got it and so Basecamp at that point is a reference for me of hey this article is with this person but if it's hey you know steven can you edit this that's i'm gonna i'm gonna put that in omnifocus not necessarily so i can keep up with it because i generally can keep up with that sort of stuff mentally but so i can account for hey this is going to take time out of your day you know, you need to look at what day you're going to put that on so you can set those expectations for your team members and you can make sure you're not staying up till 2 a.m. because you, you know, said you could do too many things on a, any given Tuesday night. Um, and it's it sounds like you use a calendar a lot, do you? Or do you do all that within your task management app? Uh, that's another point of uh, you guys are just it's like therapy today. That's another big friction point for me of what's an event and what's a, and what's a task. And so what I've what I, what I do now is definitely different than what I did a year ago where I will block out time on the calendar of, you know, Hey, I know that for instance, tomorrow afternoon, I'm reading um, a first draft of a sweet setup review of freelancers done. And so I've got just on my calendar, you know, from one to two sweet setup. And I know that there's tasks within that time, but it lets me, and more importantly, lets my wife know that, Hey, I've, you know, I've got to take care of something, um, you know, when the kids are, are down for their nap tomorrow afternoon. Uh, I do the same thing at work as well, because other people, and I'm sure you guys live with this, right? Like you have these great plans to do something and then someone sends you a meeting invite that you can't get out of. And it's like, well, <laughs> all the time I had to do all these tasks and now I've been eaten up by something, something else. And so at, at work, a lot of us actually will put, hey, you know, I'm going to be working on this, this project from one to three. Please don't overwrite that time. And that's not getting into the nitty gritty of what I have to do, but it it earmarks those two hours for me to do with what I please and for someone not to put me on a conference call instead. Well, I want to keep talking about this, but uh, before we do, David, why don't you tell us about our, our last sponsor of this episode? Or not, or I can tell you a little bit about, about, so, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I, I had a little uh, hiccup here. But okay. I'd be happy to, Katie Floyd. I'd like to talk to you about our friends over at Drobo. Drobo is a safe and expandable simple storage array. Uh, your data is protected against single or multiple hard drive failures, depending on your settings. So uh, a Drobo device is a, a little black box that sits next to your Mac. And they've got some that connect directly to your Mac, and they've got some that will connect directly to your, your wireless network. So you can share it wirelessly. And the storage capacity can be increased anytime by just adding a drive. The one I have currently is a Drobo 3 which is a Gen 3. It's got four slots in it for drives. And one of the great things about this is, is you don't have to have matching drives. Traditionally, you had to have all the same 
type of drives and same sizes to do these arrays. With the Drobo, you can just add a new one whenever you need it. Uh, they can be a different manufacturer and even different sizes, and it doesn't matter. Um, so, and it manages itself. It's got these great little cutter lights next to it that communicate. It's it's either you know green, yellow, or red, and it tells you the status of those drives at a glance. Uh, they have models that have four, five, or even eight drive capacities. And they've got various interfaces, including USB 3, Thunderbolt, uh, and NAS drive or SCSI uh, interfaces, whatever you need, they've got covered for you or ISCSI interface. I'm sorry. I'm saying SCSI. What do you think of that, Stephen? <laughs> yeah, I think you should definitely use SCSI with your no. Yeah. I'm, don't forget uh, you're going to need a Terminator. At the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And get your pins straight. That's right. Whatever the name of all that is holy. Uh, but so how do I use my Drobo? I use it to store data that's too big to fit on my Mac. And also I use it as this great archive storage. Um, like if you've got an SSD based MacBook, uh, this is something you're going to want. So you can just uh, offload all this stuff to it. The other thing I really like is I've got my Gen 3 connected directly to my, my fancy pants Retina iMac. And I've got, you know, something like six terabytes on it of storage. And this is the trick. I've got like all my family's photo albums and off the various laptops in the in the house. I just keep updating those onto this big, massive Drobo attached to my iMac. And then, of course, I've got that hooked up, you know, with an online backup service. So it's backing that stuff off site for me at all times. It's, it's just really great. And I really love the Drobo Gen 3. It's the perfect fit for me. It's a four drive array with a USB 3.0 connection. And you can move dry drives from previous models up to the seven-year-old original Trobo. And you just put it in there and it just works. You don't have to do anything. I don't know how they got that backwards compatibility, but it works. But the difference is it's now three to five times faster than its predecessor. So it's just even better. And it's got a dual-core microprocessor and USB 3.0 interface with 200 megabytes per second. So it's a screamer. Um, uh, it can withstand up to two simultaneous drive failures, depending on how you set it up. So if a drive goes bad, you're okay, because you can just replace it and you're in good shape. I had that happen in the not-so-distant uh, past. Um, and it's optimized for Time Machine, so that's another thing I have doing my iMac is using Drobo for Time Machine backup. It's a really great device. And it's protecting you from power failure. It has an internal battery and a small SSD cache to store data being written to the device in the event that you lose power. And it's cheaper than ever. The U.S. list price is $349. That's one-third less than its predecessor. So if you've been looking for a way to store a lot of data, look no further. Go check out Drobo and get yourself one. Connect it to your Mac today. It's going to solve a lot of your data storage problems. And in this day and age of SSD, storage is a thing. So get yourself a Drobo and check it out. Thanks, Drobo, for all of your support to Mac Power users over the years. Uh, Stephen, one thing I, I wanted to mention, um, and we talked about this a, a little before the show off off mic, uh, something that was was very near and dear to me is is you did a great episode of of analog, and and you've talked about this publicly before. Is um, you know you're such a great family man, and you've talked about some of the struggles that you've had. Is um, you have a child who is is doing well now, but but has been sick in the past, and I know that that's been a, a very um, big part of your life, and certainly one of the most important things is when you have a child, especially or a family member that's sick. Nothing else matters at that moment except doing what you need to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've, like I said, you've, I've written about a lot, but my for the uninitiated, my six year now six year old it sounds 
crazy. Uh, six-year-old son, uh, Josiah, um, has, uh, was diagnosed with a, a brain tumor as a baby and still has cancer, but is doing well. And, you know, with, with any sort of, um, catastrophic disease, you're going to have emergencies and, and we definitely do. And a lot of people can relate to that. Not just people with sick kids, but parents, you know, spouses, there, there are times in life where your phone rings and it doesn't matter what you're doing, but you have to, you have to go. <laughs> um, and that, you know, happens to me more than most people, unfortunately. Um, and so the, you know, the, the trick is to, you know, have people who are understanding in your life, first of all. And, and I'm very fortunate um, in everything that I do, including, uh, including my regular jobby job, to have extremely understanding bosses and business partners and, and employees and, and team members where, you know, again, I don't exist in a vacuum. And so if I need to go, there are people who understand that and who can um, pick up the slack for me, um, at least to make sure that nothing, you know, really, uh, really explodes at, at work, which is, which is really great. I have um, the job I was at after I left Apple, I went to go, uh, I worked for Apple service provider, but really we were a consulting firm for Apple for their education clients. And I was there when Josiah was diagnosed and the owner of the company called me and was like, I don't want to see you. Like you do what you need to do. You're going to get paid. We're going to take care of your, of your service business. Um, you, you go be with your family. And I, I was able to take a month off and walked back into work and the place hadn't burned down because my team was prepared and was able to step up and, and take care of things. And that means that means the world when you have to, you know, when you have to go deal with a, with an emergency to know that you don't have to worry about those other parts of your life. Yeah, I I went through a, a situation in my life where I, I was one of the primary caretakers for um, an elderly grandparent and during the last year of his life. Um, you know, it was it was a similar situation. Uh, well, I, I won't say a similar situation to yours, but it was a situation where um, the phone would ring. And when the phone would ring, you would look at it and see the caller ID and go, that's not good. Um, and, and know that you would have to go, you know, right then and right there. And no matter what was happening, you had to go. And looking back on that experience now, I, I definitely learned some lessons out of it. And I, I think it, it, it was a horrible period of time. But, you know, looking back on it, it, it definitely taught me some things about myself and about time management and about realizing that, you know, for anybody, the phone can ring at any given time. And, you know, I've learned that, you know, if I've got something due on Monday morning, I'm going to finish it Friday before I leave the office because I don't know what the weekend is going to bring. Or if I've got something that absolutely has to be done, um, you know, on Wednesday, I'm, I'm probably not going to leave it till Tuesday because I don't, I don't know what Tuesday is going to bring. And I think that's been a valuable skill that, that I've kind of taken with me through that, that I learned through that period of time that, you know, I've, I've taken with me throughout my career. That's, that saved my vacant more than once. Yeah. But you know, being a lawyer, you really get that training early. At least the good ones do, because it's the same thing. And it's not nearly the, you know, as drastic as the situations you guys are talking about, but you really don't control your time. You're a lot, a lot like a fireman. You don't know when the bell's going to ring and you're going to slide down the pole and run and do something. And um, so you really just need to get things done early. And, you know, maybe that's something all three of us share in common, maybe why we talk about this stuff so much that, you know, using the technology appropriately can really help you 
be able to, you know, slide down the fire pole and run when you need to. Yeah. And it's, I mean, for me, it's almost, I mean, it's definitely defensive, but it's also, it also can be uh, proactive where, uh, Hey, you know, that call comes and all of a sudden I'm going to be out of pocket for 24 hours for whatever reason, you know, I should be able to say to somebody, you know, at work, I should be able to say to one of my employees with relative certainty, this is what needs to get done today. Um, this is where I left it. And, um, they should be able to to handle that. It should it shouldn't be a bigger burden than it has to be to, to somebody else. And so for me, it's not only about what am I missing right now, but you know, what are those next things? What am I, you know, what is due this week? What it, what needs to to move off my plate onto someone else's? And uh, to be able to convey that in a reasonable way when those times do happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and I guess we've talked about OmniFocus enough for for one episode. But the um, but what are the other tools you use to make sure that happens? Yeah, it's um, you know, we talked about Slack. We talked about uh, we talked about OmniFocus. Um, another another big one for me is, is Evernote, and I'm perpetually unhappy with Evernote as a product. Uh, we've talked about that. Yeah, tell me, tell me your thought on context. <laughs> no, <laughs> just listen to whatever episode of Connected I was yelling at Mike about it. Um. But the, you know, Evernote for me is very much a, a personal wiki. It, there's no right or wrong answer about what goes into it. There's no, there's, there's organization, but as far as what generates a note, it's very free form. It can be a photo. It can be a scanned notebook. It can be just, hey, I need to get these four, these four, four bullet points out of my head somewhere and I can deal with them later. And so to have that reference library of, you know, uh, all this different stuff that I can draw on is really, really important, especially anyone who wor- works multiple jobs. You know, you don't want to get details from one thing mixed up with another. That's bad enough within one job, but you add a couple different areas of responsibility and that gets out of control. And so to to, to have a, a, just a resource to go back to of, hey, you know, what what was that figure that I told somebody that this is going to take or uh, in Relay in particular, Mike and I run our business on Evernote. We have tons of shared notebooks for different things. And we go back to it all the time. You know, for a while, Relay was just an idea. It was just a spark. And we captured all sorts of things during that 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 period of planning. And we go back to them on a regular basis because, hey, you know, what you know, what was that that mailing list that we were going to send out to people? You know, let's go let's revisit that idea. Or, you know, we have this idea for this show. Let's, you know, I know we I wrote that down somewhere. Let's go look at that and, and bring it back up. So Evernote is definitely a central uh, hub for me for all of my projects of of just having reference material, having resources handy, uh, no matter what device I'm on or, you know, where I am. Yeah. I, I, as you know, I'm a, go ahead, David. I, I, I think Katie should go first. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Are we talking about Evernote? No. Um, I love Evernote and I've been, I've been digging a little bit deeper into it recently because I, I just got finished teaching a continuing legal education course on, on Evernote. And so I, it kind of, you have to dig into something a little bit differently when you have to teach it to others. And I stumbled across this article and it's been, I think, reposted and blogged a bunch of different places by um, Thomas Honeyman over at Medium about, it's, it's called using Evernote the right way. And of course the tongue in cheek is there's, there's no right way to use Evernote. But I think that frustrates Evernote users. A lot of people is that you can use Evernote so many different ways that it can be confusing and people aren't quite sure what to use it for or how to dig into it. And I found that, you know, it was starting, Evernote was starting to become a little less useful for me 
because I got to the point where I was a big notebook person. You know, I always had notebooks and everything got a notebook. And, you know, I had 50 to 60 notebooks at one point in Evernote or, or still at this point, I think I have about 40 notebooks in Evernote. And it was, I, I was just kind of getting lost in my Evernote notebook stacks. Um, and this article that he posted to was about, you know, he, he has like five or six notebooks and everything else he uses is very tag based. And I've really, really struggled with tags. I've, I've never used tags in mail. I've never used tags in the finder, but a lot of people swear by tags. And so I'm kind of going back and, and reevaluating my, my Evernote organization system to see, can I, can, I mean, I'm probably never going to have five notebooks in Evernote, but, but could I get it down to maybe a dozen notebooks and, and, organize everything else with tags. And I think that's a really interesting idea. How, how do you keep your stuff in org, you know, high kind of high level organized in Evernote? Yeah, I, I'm definitely with you 100% on tags. They make no sense to me in any software I've ever used. It's just my brain does not like a place. A thing can only live one place. It can't live multiple places in my brain. So tags just make my head hurt. Um, but my my notebook structure in Evernote actually very closely mirrors uh, my organizational structure in OmniFocus. You know, I use areas of responsibility as top level items. So I've got Rocket Fuel, Relay, Home, and and things. Just notebooks are created as necessary under those big headings. Um, like you, I have a lot of notebooks. I've got. I don't. Need, I was trying to see the count, but I don't know how to do that anymore. Um, I mean, there's there's probably you know thirty to forty in there. But I do try to keep that, you know, I, I, I do evaluate that every so often and say, you know, what in here makes sense. A lot of people, I think, treat Evernote as archival, where it's like things go in there, and they never come out. I view it as a living collection of documents. And so there are things that I take out of Evernote that I, you know, I'll archive them, you know, on Dropbox or something. But I need it to be alive and reactionary to where I am today, not where I was two years ago. And so it's. You know, every quarter or so, it's it's not on a, a regular basis, but I, I just I peruse Evernote to make sure that it's still, you know, uh, reflective of what I'm working on. I think my problem with Evernote is I just don't get any joy out of using it. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. It's it's I think there are. Um, I think Evernote's got some some issues as a product. Uh, what I uh, what I would really love is like a combined like simple note in all, but with the ability to attach files to a note because I, I do store pdfs in there uh with notes you know kind of above and below them i think that's really helpful but there's a lot of evernote that i don't use and a lot of things that i, I don't care for about the system it's sort of overkill for what i need so I, I i feel that pain as well of you know it's it's great it's kind of the only thing that does what it does but it it could do it so much better in in some ways and I don't even really think I have all the answers because you're right. It does a combination of things. I mean, like I like being able to have all these little text files and I've got various systems for managing them. I'm not even sure where, where I'm going to end up with that either, but I know it's not going to be Evernote. And, and I guess part of the problem was I, at one point I was thinking, well, can I combine it all into this one place? Cause simplifying to one app would be great, but you know what? It's just not that good at that stuff. So um, I, I'm just not going to be there for it, but, you know, at the same time, the interface is getting better and they are progressing and moving the ball forward on both the Mac and iOS. And it is a service that just simply doesn't exist anywhere else. I mean, the idea of an app that can be kind of a hold everything app, but is web based is a brilliant idea. And that's why they've been as successful as they have. But I'm just not totally sold on their execution. Agreed. Yeah. 
Well, what, see, what are the other? Well, wait, real quick. I know, Katie, we, we've got another show, actually. <laughs> but, the, but real quick, Stephen, because you're the Mac guy, I got to hear, you've got to have some cool stuff up in your like toolbar or menu bar or something. Can I give us some little trips to go for the road? Yeah, absolutely. The first one is that you should definitely buy and own and use Bartender, which is this little yes. app that basically, in a nutshell, stashes a bunch of menu bar icons behind one menu bar icon. Um which is uh, is very helpful. Um, I, I don't know if I have much in here that would surprise anyone. I, really, what simplified some things was um, Alfred, where you can, which is you know a, a launch bar alternative. And Alfred, you can use to fire scripts from. You can. Uh, it has its own copy and paste like clipboard history. So I used to have separate apps, you know, in my menu bar to like run scripts or to deal with like you know multi-layer copy and paste like history type stuff and that's sort of folded into alfred so i've simplified a little bit um you know uh, there are a couple things i think are maybe a little unusual uh including hazel which a lot of listeners of course will be familiar with i use hazel pretty extensively especially with my photo collection to do some automated tasks for me Uh, a relatively newcomer though is, is flux which is this little menu bar app and it sets the temperature of your display based on time of day which like i heard about flux years ago and thought that sounded ridiculous but at work we have a we're we take an entire floor of a building and we have windows on three sides of us so we have a great view but the problem is it when it gets dark it gets dark in our office and when it's bright it's bright in our office and it your display can be really harsh and you know kind of blue tinted especially in, in the evening as it's getting darker and, and flux basically brings that color temperature up or down which sounds crazy. You kind of have to use it for that, any of that to make sense. But yeah, you know, Brett, Brett Terpstra turned me onto that and I used it for a long time, but I've got out of the habit. I, yeah. I think I need to reinstall that again. I was uh, just last night was sitting at the dining room table with my MacBook Pro, my wife's MacBook Air open next to it and she doesn't run it. And it was like jarring looking at her display. It was so bright and harsh. Um, if you work especially a lot in the evenings, it, it can be really um, easier, uh, easier on your eyes. Um so I've got that. And then, of course, I have, as any uh, Mac nerd, I think, should have um, the uh, uh, menu. I, I'm going to butcher their name now. The uh, menu stat, iStat. What is it? iStat, iStat menus. iStat menus. I knew there was some combination. Of, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, their new version of their Mac app is really great. And so, you know, you have a quick access to CPU, disk space. You know, a lot of things that you can get in applications like Activity Monitor activity monitor or network monitor puts them all just a click away. And, uh, you know, if I'm especially doing audio work or something, really pushing this machine, it's helpful to know what's going on. And, um, so it sits up there. It's all behind one little icon. I don't use it can, you know, it can draw little graphs in your mini bar. I don't have any of that turned on. It's one simple icon, everything drawn behind it. Um, I think that's a good nerd tool that you, should, you know, it can be helpful if you're curious what your Mac is doing at, at any given time. Yeah, that's a good one. And that's a great one for using with Bartender because you can kind of you don't need to see that stuff all the time. But when you want it, it's only one click away. Right. And and the they've got even shortcuts to system profiler console like so you can get to those, you know, hardcore built in apps from within the, the menu bar app. You don't have to go out and launch Spotlight and find it. It's all just a click away, which I think is really pretty helpful. I've even found myself starting to use some of their their widgets for things that I didn't think I'd need, like their their date widget drops down a calendar. I mean, they they just did a little bit better than the native Apple 
um, apps on across the board on that stuff. It's it's definitely worth checking out that app. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. And it's, you know, that sounds, that's all sounds really nerdy, but what I love about it, it's all customizable. So you can tell it what modules you want activated. So I have a bunch of them on that no one, like no one needs to see the sensors on their computer, but I'm curious about that stuff. So I know right now, you know, my CPU system agent core is 120 degrees, whatever that means. I now know that it's 120 degrees. So you can get, you can dial it in really tight, or if you just want a high level view, it gives you that as well. Awesome. Well, Stephen, uh, it's been a joy to have you. It's it's been far too long, but you know, then we just had to kind of pester you a little bit by by dragging it dragging <laughs> it on and on. R- r- really, um, Mike made us. No, it's fine. He's um, you can blame you can blame him. I I do for lots of things. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but tell everybody uh, where's the best place to find you. Um, the best the best place to find me is probably fi- or, yeah. everywhere. Where Every- everywhere can just, we find? Yeah, you? just uh, you know, anywhere. Always watching. Uh, 512pixels.net is uh, is definitely still kind of my home on the internet. The about page has links to all this stuff, but um, you know, relay.fm is uh, is definitely the new the new home, and uh, we're Mike and I are excited to. Yeah, you you guys are doing, doing great work there. there. I, I I listen to most of your shows. Thanks, and, uh, great uh, jobs. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. You know, kind of like talking talking about the Mac, bring it for a circle, you know, the ability to like have an idea and create it to do that with a business and with a, with a partner like Mike has been a huge, a huge honor. So it's a, it's a lot of fun to be making stuff every week. Cool. Awesome. Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode at our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Uh, we're also on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm Katie Floyd. David is Max Barkey. And Stephen, once again, you are... Uh, well, st- I don't know. On Twitter. Everywhere. <laughs> ISMH. <Sorry>. ISMH. Yeah. <laughs> and you can also send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>